Hello and welcome to your favorite daily comic book channel, Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Jim Rugg. I'm Ed Piscor. Today we are looking at advanced copies of Monica, Dan Klaus' forthcoming graphic novel. Always exciting whenever a new Dan Klaus book is released. And we recently ranked Dan Klaus' works. Monica ended up number one on my list. So I'm very excited to dive into this one with you, Ed. Cartoonist Kayfabe is a daily YouTube channel about comics. If you're new to Cartoonist Kayfabe, first of all, welcome. And I want to tell everybody, we have over a thousand comics related videos uh, in our archive. You can go to the Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel and hit the little, uh, I, the little magnifying glass icon to search those archives. Put in your favorite comics or your favorite cartoonist and see if we've done a video on them. And if we haven't, go down in the comments section and let us know the books and the creators that you would like to see us cover on Cartoonist Kayfabe. Cartoonist Kayfabe is also brought to you by our Patreon. There are three levels there that will get you access to our videos early. At the King Kayfaber level, you'll get access to all of our videos first. You'll also sit in on the recording session. This will offset the Kayfabe effect. If we're covering a book that you want to add to your collection, you'll be the first one out there looking for it. You'll get it before it sells out or before those prices skyrocket. And finally, you can see us in person at Baltimore Comic Con, September 8th, 9th, and 10th this year. It's a great comic book show for comic book fans. So come on out and say hi, introduce yourself. You can tell us in person the comics and creators that you want to see us cover on the channel. So, Ed, we got advanced copies of Dan Klaus' new graphic novel, Monica. It's a beautiful book, as I would expect from Dan Klaus. And, Show me uh, that spine. Yeah, very thoughtful. You know, I think of him as one of the most thoughtful comic makers out there. And uh, it's awesome and exciting to me whenever a new Dan Klaus book comes out, not just for the event of the book, but in this case that it continues to deliver, that he continues to kind of grow as a cartoonist, gives me a lot of hope as a, as a cartoonist that um, this is an art form that rewards that longevity and that kind of eager exploration that uh, the best cartoonists engage in. Yeah, like if, the, if there's some precursor stuff, we should say it before even opening the book. I do have a little bit to, to do that, that won't get into spoilers, but we will announce in a couple of minutes spoiler alert yeah like like i would say that just visually to open it would be a spoiler so let's get all that stuff out of the way beforehand we'll announce spoilers and then and then we'll jump jump right into things all right so just looking at the packaging and i remember reading a review of chris ware's building stories that was like day two i opened the plastic <laughs> that it's sealed in so we're gonna do a, a moment of that as we look at this cover and you know what's missing from this most books have some kind of information on the back, yeah. a little summary, maybe some quotes, something like that to give you an idea of like, uh, hey, why you should buy this book and what you can expect inside of it. You don't get anything but images on this book. So whatever you may think about getting into, it's all based on the visuals. I, I do. I have a theory that that like he would have liked the UPC to not even be there because rarely do you see him letter the, the price on the thing. You know, like, I, I feel like he would have liked it to have been a thing where it's just this art object because it would kind of go with some of the stuff on the interior that like, uh, so I'll just say that for now. It is funny to kind of like flip this book back and forth. And I don't feel like we're giving anything away yet. <laughs> you know, not a lot of spoilers here, but as we get into the discussion of the book, I feel like this is such a deliberate design and completely atypical of what you what I expect out of books and book design, which again, yes. man, love the inventiveness and it starts on this cover. Since the um, publication of Wilson, 
the tactility has grown so much. Like Wilson is probably like the, th the thickest uh, case wrap, but this kind of carries that tradition. Maybe not as thick, but pretty thick, but the interior paper. It's very heavy. Yeah, it's almost like a picture book, kids book paper, like, like very, very, very high quality. Yeah, um, a note on the case book stuff. I know what you mean with that heavy duty. Whenever I did the Street Angel hardcovers at Image, I spec that kind of a case because I like the heft. Oh of yeah, like, you could, you know, <laughs> that's almost wood. It's it's like two ply. Like if you've seen it, it like it, like it's two pieces of cardboard rather than just like one. Yeah, um, you know, we were talking about how good this looks on our monitor, and it's so true. You know, this is. Uh, a cover that'll work if you see it as a thumbnail on Amazon, yeah. or if you're holding it in your hands and looking at it. And it's a relatively simple design, but it's also very unusual color, right? We've got uh, our hero heroine in blue against this cosmic backdrop, even kind of a psychedelic, a, a title treatment, right? That I, I can't family. point to something and be like, oh yeah, this is a trending cover design, or this is a font that's Not popular. Not now. No. Like it's a very 70s. Uh, I think the co the color of her face factors into some of my thesis on, on the work, but that would probably be uh, spoiler-filled also. Hey man, if you're ready to do it, let's drop the spoiler warning to everybody at home and let's open this thing up. Drop it, Jimmy. Maybe maybe, maybe flash a little spoiler <laughs> thing on... on uh... Spoilers, everybody. Okay. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> this video is brought to you by the Cartoonist Kayfabe Patreon. Three different levels will give you access to our videos early. And at the King K Faber level, you'll get access to all of our videos first to offset the K Fabe effect, and you sit in on the recording session, which really gives you a leg up. We are also working cartoonists. The best way to support cartoonist K Fabe is to buy our comics. And coming out in time for Christmas, Hip Hop Family Tree from Ed Piscor. 500 plus pages collecting all of the Hip Hop Family Tree in one handsome volume, along with 140 pages of extra back material, notes, art that hasn't been reprinted before, new art created just for this volume. Red Room, Crypto Killers, is the latest series in the Red Room uh, universe. There are two volumes in trade paperback, and this third volume is being published right now. Issue 3, recently published, features Latchkey Kids, now known as Switchblade Shorties, which is Ed's ongoing daily comic strip. This is the first appearance, so you may want to add this one to your collection as a, uh, a key back issue. X-Men Grand Design is going to be collecting all three volumes into one edition, also in time for the holidays this year, uh, the X-Men Grand Design Trilogy. You can pre-order that one now. My latest comics, True Crime Funnies, self-published, featuring three non-fiction stories, including two wrestling stories, available on my website or my Patreon. Young adult graphic novel, The Plain Janes. Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Alive, featuring the homeless ninja on a skateboard, collecting eight complete stories. This is my action superhero series, and a new volume of Street Angel will be due out later this year in November, also from Image Comics. Get Princess of Poverty and Deadliest Girl Alive to have all of the Street Angel comics, and Hulk Grand Design, my contribution to the Grand Design mythos celebrating 60 years of the Incredible Hulk. And now back to the video. Off the bat, like, like with the blue color... I'm whispering, like uh, giving yeah, them a, ch yeah. a chance not to, you know, to turn the volume down. But I think mortality is a big part of this this comic in, in terms of like where Klaus thinking is. Mm -hmm. And this is the ultimate Dan Klaus greatest hits type comic. Uh, so that would include all of his previous works, and he's 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 exploring a little bit of his previous works throughout this whole book. So that's like your ghost world. Piece. And there's many a ghost world piece in here. 
Yes. But also, I as you go through as we go through this, identify each of the genres of EC comics because from page one of the comic, you're in Kurtzman war territory, and I swear to God, he touches every genre of EC. So it's like the ultimate EC comic and the ultimate Dan Klaus comic. This is our uh, reference sheet, right? This is your PR cheat sheet that comes with uh, with with your early issue from, from Fanagraphics. Um, you know, they describe it as interconnected narratives that tell the life story of Monica, our title character here. Uh, Klaus calls upon a lifetime of inspiration to create the most complex and personal graphic novel of his distinguished career. I agree with that. Uh, you mentioned it, you know, there's a lot of reference to previous work and previous themes that appear in his work. And this kind of solidifies some of those ideas in a yeah. way, you know, sometimes you see an idea in, a, in, in one book. Okay. When you start to see it two, three times, it becomes a real theme that this, this author has wrestled with for decades in some cases. And he's achieved mastery, you know, way, way far more than 10,000 hours, maybe, maybe 30, 50 thousand hours beyond where he was with like a velvet glove. Oh my goodness. So let's see the surreal stuff in here. Where it's it takes so action. true. And uh, it talks about mashing up these genres, right? War, romance, horror, crime, supernatural, etc. Mysterious, uncategorizable, and quintessentially Klausian way that rewards multiple readings. So I have read this twice. Yes. Uh, five years in the making is is, uh, is on that that handout as well. And I was shocked at the second reading. My reaction to this book almost completely different than the first time through. And let's dive in, man. Right away, his end pages, which are always good looking. We're getting into narrative stuff right off the bat. Yes. I mentioned there's no text as a summary in the back. There's no biography of the creator in it. If you just pick this up without any context, you'd have no idea who Dan Klaus is, what his catalog of work is, his history as a graphic novelist, his background just as a human being in terms of what is on these pages, because this is the kind of thing that can be interpreted many, many different ways. And he talked to us on the shoot interview that we did, and we do have a Dan Klaus playlist, by the way, where he fantasizes about this idea of somebody in a distant future picking up his book, in, like off of a you know used bookstore, and just being baffled by it. This so, is the one. There are no real clues. You see for Eric and Charles, his family. Um, I believe there is one other yeah, dedication. Next page, next okay. page. But let's linger on this page for a moment. But there is no real context. You know, like if you just picked this up, you don't know who Eric and Charles are. You don't need to for any reason. But there's no context. Like what you're getting here is really hard to understand. Like, who knows? Totally. Like we're like on the end papers, we start with the primordial ooze, the, yes. the kind of big bang. Yes. And then... look. At, like meteorites falling to the earth yeah lightning just, storms no real terrestrial land uh get noxious like yeah i was gonna say an atmosphere that produces a, a red sun <laughs> <laughs> and then you know th there was a game called spore in the in the 2000s where you could start off your amoeba stage and then become a land animal so we got the history of man in uh in two in two uh pages that's JFK exactly assassination, right sputnik by the way, this JFK assassination drawing style, we'll see a couple more examples in this book. That's a new Klaus drawing style to me. <laughs> the Beverly Hillbillies. That's amazing that that's like somehow part of the uh, where we're at. <laughs> he never loses the cheekiness, man. No, not at all. All right, so there's your table of contents in the shape of a television monitor. Mm -hmm. uh, not an accident. You know, Dan Klaus, if you read his work, very 
uh, astute observer of pop culture and fringe culture, cult yeah. culture, things of that nature. And I feel like the television shape, of course, not an accident. If you're going to tell somebody's life story that lived mostly in the 20th century, television, you're probably your big media piece. I love the lettering. We often talk about how great he is as a craftsman and the lettering really shines. It's very strange as we unfold these chapters, how they relate to each other, which was something on the second reading where I'm like, I don't understand how this piece fits in the overall idea of this is Monica's life story. But we start with Foxhole, and this is your nod to the EC War comics, and it's fantastic, dude. The dialogue, Cloud's a great writer, but these two going back and forth, two very different guys. Uh, Johnny, who we'll see again a couple of times throughout the book. He, he, his character arc is one of my favorites because every time you see him, it's like he's adopted a different persona. Right. But this very first time we see him, it's the all-American boy. Yes. Blonde hair, blue eyes, fighting for his country, uh, God-fearing Christian, has his girlfriend at home. This is this is your quarterback, your once, your homecoming king kind of guy yeah. in the beginning on page one, panel totally. one. Totally, wants the simple life. And this guy, he's got he's he's a darker character. So they're sitting in their foxhole and they're kind of talking about various things. And uh, this guy's kind of poking and prodding Johnny a little bit and talking about you know his daddy's Buick and he's like my old man buys Chevys. <laughs> it's, it's just perfect back and forth. I actually thought these two might end up teaming up later in life but it turns out we don't see him again right uh, his his partner in crime here yeah it's just a setup to to uh show basically the delusion that that johnny's living under uh and it might be a self-delusion or he, he maybe he really does believe that, i could have read uh, 200 pages of the of, of the activities of these two guys you know at war yeah it's because it's one of those things where you know, you don't get to choose your foxhole buddy and stuff like this, man. So they are from two completely different stratum of society and they got to coexist and they got to get together. Do you think it's worth talking a little bit about what this book is overall at this stage? Kind of the plot, if there is one? Yeah, go ahead. I, to me, this is a conspiracy theory kind of, uh, fun with conspiracy theories. How about put it that way, maybe? Okay. Because we have cults that'll come into this. It's sort of written like a mystery. Um, what happens is Johnny's girlfriend, Pretty Penny, is uh, the mother of Monica. Yes. And she's going to disappear at some point in the story early in Monica's life. And I feel like that propels the narrative is like, what happened to Penny? Let's go find Penny. It's almost a mystery that we're going through this book, except that's not at all what this story is. No. Slight MacGuffin. We see this in memoriam with with these several names. Richard, I believe, would probably be Richard Sala. That was my guess. I don't recognize the others. Might be personal. I thought that too, because it's definitely a sense of like mortality. This is a COVID era project. You know, if it's five years in the making, uh, yeah, he started it, you know, 2017 or something like 2018. Yeah. Uh, it might have taken a life of its own a little bit as pandemic, lockdowns, all that sort of stuff. As conspiracy culture became somewhat mainstream. Right. And you know, the thing with conspiracy stuff, because I've mentioned on here, I listen to these shows. I find them entertaining as stories. I'm not sitting here saying this or that is true when it comes to any conspiracy. Sure. Um, but there is definitely a culture around that. And I think he captures that. You know, there's a sense of paranoia. You mentioned a MacGuffin. There's red herrings everywhere. In a way, this entire story is that. It's chasing one red herring after another. Which, you know, if we're going to keep up with the Clausian tropes or like the EC tropes, Velvet Glove. Absolutely. You know, like the little the snippet of, of uh, the porno film, 
the little tattoo, like that's one of those elements. Completely. And you see from this lettering, this is set in, I believe, the late 60s. Kind. Of, this is the Vietnam, Vietnam era. Yeah. So we're looking at the 60s and it's flower power kind of stuff. We have hippies and ideas of that new age kind of ideas will float throughout these pages in multiple chapters. And what, what killed the 60s, man? Cults. Charles Manson. He, he was he was the end of it. This this part right here, it's so close to home. When when I was working on these uh, the movie sets, you know, here in Pittsburgh, we're we're a purple state, which is like you have Pittsburgh, you have Philadelphia, everywhere in between. Pennsylvania, Al- Alabama, <laughs> and uh, those people would come into town to like participate as movie extras too, you know. And there was this girl, 18, 19, 20 years old, who had a husband, you know, lost her virginity to this husband, and he was off to war. Well, this girl came to the city and was with a bunch of Pittsburgh scoundrels and stuff and was really appreciating all their time. And there's a part where he's laughing at the husband who's over at the war, like dodging bullets. Literally, I heard that being said and this chick laughing about it. Hmm. Yeah. Like this shit, like I've seen, I've seen that exact thing happening. Very dark. Super dark. It was the most disgusting thing I might've ever seen. So these bits... There's at least one more of these. Yeah. I'm not sure how many others there are, but but there are two that stand out to me. I don't know what this is. Okay. Any idea? <sighs> no. It's very strange. And there's a thing that happens also here because you're watching this and it's all dialogue driven, right? For the most part. This is not dialogue driven. My interpretation is this is Monica's of narration. Yeah. Um, which is really a great piece of Klaus because he's a great writer, whether yes. it's dialogue or narration. And Ghost World, one of the awesome things is he had done a lot of work Velvet Glove Cast and Iron, for example, that had this narration as part of the storytelling, he gets to Ghost World and he sheds that. It's all dialogue-driven, which is amazing to be able to work in both modalities. Yes. Here we're going to get a combo of that, like really showcasing those that, those skill sets. that Very few writers have one of them in comics, and he's got both. Yes, and and then another piece of that writing, especially when you have your ethereal god narrator, in this case Monica, is super sharp observational skills mm-hmm. and we'll see we'll see examples the the entire way i mean there's examples on every page yeah and they show up in dialogue in captions in art visuals yeah. even in the in the cutting between two panels but this is great where it's like they're going to an art gallery this boyfriend this lover character is an artist at this time but such a pretentious like like the classic kind of douchebag that exists that like talks the talk but does not have the chops to back it up he is uh, kind of a beatnik in this hippie era, but almost like um, you could imagine him being some kind of part of a conspiracy theory, like a government, undercover government guy that's there to disrupt some kind things. of mole. Yeah, exactly. He's a very dark presence. His right. energy is, is communicated darkly. Right as he kisses the chick, man, there's Johnny's parents showing up. And it gets contentious quick. Right, but it's also just that, it's also just like, come on, he's, he's over there, he's counting on you. So they kind of, it's like they understand the impulse she's a young girl whatever but get your shit together but it proves that our girl this girl sucks she's an awful person man yes yeah i can see See, here's another one of those man and this is very very much like yellow submarine-ish that's what i saw in that one compared to this doesn't have that yellow submarine characteristic but it does have that weird like um psychedelic kids you know there's that era puffin yes type shit yeah very peculiar so again, we're going back and we're kind of trying to figure out where these people are. Google useless for normal people. So you see all the Leonard Krugs 
uh, that come up in the Google search. I know. I just like to think that that's like, you know, the Facebook profile and stuff. And that guy looks too right. That looks like maybe Larry Zonka or somebody. <laughs> yeah, I would follow. If we just took a 90 degree turn and start following this character, I'd be on board for that. <laughs> Give him a chapter. The presentation of Penny is really interesting, too, because this is presumably this is from Monica's point of view at this point, not even born. Right. So now she's kind of like rear projecting. And whenever we say Penny's terrible, what she does is abandons a kid that she can't really take care of. Um, and that's about as much fact as we know about her, I think. Yeah. You know, the rest of this is, is sort of in a strange place, but here's Penny screaming at her parents whenever uh, she gets the phone call from them. And you see the same friends are hanging out from that art gallery uh, show. That is a ghost world move right there. Yeah. To hold the middle finger up to the to the phone. That's a Mr. Wonderful mood yeah. of having um, obscured text. But you can see what's saying. There's yeah. some expletives that got cut off, I think, in that panel. And uh, here we go. 20 months later, and Monica's born, and Penny is pushing her down the street in the baby carriage. Makes me think of underground comics, and specifically of Crumb selling Zap out of baby out of a baby carriage. Sure, sure. Also, like I think this is very much like the conspiracy stuff and the cult stuff. I think is very much a, a consequence of like California exposure to Klaus, because there is so much of that stuff out there. I, I know people that were very close to these cults that kind of still exist to this day. Uh, certainly, the, the Oakland area. You know, that's the that's the Republican hippie area. We have some good foreshadowing stuff. That's Johnny that we will discover uh, much later. Yeah. And it's not very clear that it's Johnny at this point. It's no, no, interesting no. On your first on your first read, you don't you don't. Uh, this is just whatever. But I on the first read, I also did remember reading that piece. Klaus is so good at creating images. So at one point they're living in this house with, you know, I mean, Penny's basically a homeless, you know, single mother. They're living in this house with these other people. And this is one of the kids and they're terrifying. Yeah, dude. <laughs> That's a great image was, of I, a terrifying I, kid. I, I was going to say he innovated a new wrinkle in Klaus artwork, which is the feral child. And when that kid grows up, he still has that gum to tooth ratio. We'll see him. We'll see him later. <laughs> That's funny. It says uh, one of them actually wrote me an apology letter a few years ago as part of some 12 step rehab thing. See, that's one of those observational things. And, you know, I hung out with Klaus and his wife uh, one or two times, like like in France. And Erica is funny as fuck. That's his wife. Funny as fuck. And, and she has so much observation, like the stories that she tells. So there are bits here that I think her influence might might have rubbed up on, on him a bit. This is a really good sequence of our young Monica wanders away from this park, gets lost. And I thought this is such a great panel of her like alone on the corner. Uh, a square comes to the rescue, brings her back to the park. And pretty soon that square and uh, her mom are screaming at each other. He's made note of the amount of times that he's drawn people from the back, but also the stroll. Yes. You know, so that's like another Klaus piece. That's what I'm saying. Like he injects so much of his previous works in here. It makes me wonder if in some fashion, you know, he, it's not like he's a spring chicken. Like, is he, is this his final graphic novel? Is, is he, is he, did he just build his last comic and he's ruminating on his, his body of work? I do wonder, you know, even if he's fine, like the, the scale of this thing. It's, I've heard people talk about like, you know, you create a work or whatever, and it's like climbing a mountain. And when you get to that peak, you know, what you see is the next mountain peak. Sure. And he's done this enough to know it better than anybody. And I do wonder about like, I don't even know how you would attempt to make this book. Oh, I know. I, I, like, I, I, do you write this out as a story first? Like it's, it's so 
com convoluted sounds like a negative word, but it's so complex. Like, I just don't know how you make something like this. Totally. Like, conceive of it. It's, uh, you know, he talks about stuff like uh, Rosemary's Baby and things. So, like, Ira Levin, his work is built that way, where uh, Stephen King described it as a Swiss watchmaker. It's what it feels like. In terms of uh, construction. And the only way that you could do it, like, the, the fascinating thing when you read Ira Levin's work is, as a writer yourself, you just know that ten drafts must have been made because of like the various little payoffs. This is one of those observational pieces mm -hmm. that I think uh, might be like a Erica Erica Klaus kind of bit, where noticing like the, just staring at a dude's Adam's apple and stuff. Like I, I could I could see her say, saying that. Even having a couple of hairs sticking uh -huh. out of the top of the collar, and this is uh this is point of view, right? This is yeah. Monica's point of view looking at this guy, and this is what she remembers of it. There's a lot of that too, where like we're kind of in this character's head as we're like searching for meaning and trying to make this make sense. Some of my very favorite kind of color palettes is that analogous color method where it's like you got 100% yellow and then you have the cool blues. These early stories of Monica's childhood when she's still with her mother is basically her mother going from one do guy to do. another guy. Yeah, different places, very transient. You know, by the time that, that we part ways with the mother, it kind of seems like a good thing. And, totally. and I think that's voiced she says by it. Monica in this book. Yeah, she says, I have stability now. And uh, it's things like this. Like, like I've seen this in practice. Yeah, you know, I grew I, up I'm, I grew up in, 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 in uh, Homestead in the 80s during the crack era and shit. And, like, my, my parents are kind of this way. Like, where if they see, like, a little crackhead kid or something, like, they'll hook them up with stuff and leave it to some dirtbag hippie chick to put her baggage onto it and just cause her own child so much distress. So they, they basically they buy the kid a, a, a coat. Yeah, in the winter. Yeah, and uh, and then, you know, the hippie mom is t talking her spiel about capitalism, yada, yada. I think one important thing to, to make note of uh, as, as we continue is, is Klaus has several yellows, mm -hmm. but the 100% yellow is often, the it's the focal point of, of these panels. So, you know, like, you notice that that yellow is not this yellow. And then Penny's, I mean, Monica's the most important part in, in this panel amongst this image. But uh, keep your eyes on that 100% that yellow because he uses it specifically. How great is this shadowing on a face? Totally. I was so impressed by that. There's a lot of back three-quarter view too that that's not a common piece that people draw. Yeah. He does it a lot. Totally. Uh, and... What we're illustrating, and we'll see it three, four times, is that uh, Penny, she'll get guys who are actually extremely reasonable. She will find a way to torpedo that. This is a self-destructive person that cannot allow herself to have any nice things. So she's she was dancing with some schmuck to try to get this dude fucked up. And then finally, she's just like, you're, you're such a cuck. I'm, I'm done with you. And then she's now living with the guy that she danced with to make that dude jealous. Yeah, until this hippie couple comes over and now this hippie dude moves in. Yeah. Yeah, she got a body count. And then this is such a Klausian moment. Even <laughs> with her wearing a mask. Like, totally. it's all just all over the place. Totally. Like, that's, you know, that's when you're watching that Art School Confidential movie and then there's just some guy, like, getting his balls shocked for an art project or something. <laughs> um... Penny did have a successful can well, I don't know how successful, but did have a candle business. It burns down. This is kind of this uh 
I don't know, leftist newspaper office. Yeah. Uh, they blame a hippie for leaving a joint burn or whatever. But bottom line is Penny's business has just gone up in flames. And I, and I've seen this in, in, in life where, where a child feels the responsibility of making the parent feel better as opposed to the opposite heartbreaking but i know these people man this is another example of the neighbors trying to help penny out and uh bringing a, a doll for i mean monica for christmas brings a doll to her penny goes but berserk this christmas morning taking the doll away from the kid Mon yeah Mon monica has it and half peels it off yes and then you know why are you in your your values blah 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 and you know what that that could be a suggestion of the cult stuff because like uh you know there are certain religions where you don't give Christmas presents or you don't, you know, you don't do anything like that for the holidays. So that could be an implication of cult already. I think a lot of people, that is a trend that, that you go through. If you're pushing back against say Western Christian culture, Christmas is the symbol of that, Yeah. you know, and, and we're going to see Penny pushing back against all of that stuff. And so I think that's probably another example of it. But meanwhile, they're getting kicked out on new year's and uh, little Monica brings out her sock of pennies and just breaks, breaks her mom's heart. Right. It's so gut-wrenching, all yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, you really feel for this girl's life. Because, uh, like, once again, you just know people who were born behind the eight ball, and everybody in their life kind of sucks. Uh, sometimes they make it through, but when they don't, you actually un can understand why. Oh, yeah. I think about that all the time whenever I hear different people's situation. Like, I don't know what I'd be if this was my upbringing, I guess is the way to say it. I don't want to hang out with you mind you like if, if that's your deal but but i get it um that said i have people in my life who are fantastic exactly who went through like awful conditions so like it is that weird thing of nature and nurture and who knows the answer but monica's life is not going well at this Ooh. point one quick one is this is a, a, a babysitter for her yeah as soon as mom leaves let's do prayers mm -hmm. so you do have that conflict between whatever Penny is thinking versus, you know, these Christian values that she was raised with. Getting reintroduced to Johnny. Here comes Johnny. And he's got, like, a dashiki or something. <laughs> yeah. Which, which by the way, like, I know, I know these guys that came back from Nam. Like, uh, my, my best bud's uh, stepdad, Chuck, when he came back, he got, because you ain't allowed to wear denim in, uh, in, in over there, he got suits made of denim custom tailored because he's like fuck you guys i'm wearing denim forever from now on and things are good they move in together and and uh it's a happy time for monica as she recalls in the captioning but how long can that last and she's penny, penny catches monica yes exactly penny catches monica monica saying prayers at night can't have that. We see him as, this a second time, so now it's reinforced that okay, we can make that association. This is this is Johnny. Yeah, and there's some tongue twisting here in terms of who's saying what, because Penny's throwing stuff at him, you know, needling as you say, and Johnny's kind of bringing back the opposite side. But it's like you could be saying this bone cutting kind of stuff to either one of them. Mm -hmm. Man, the use of these kind of silhouettes. I remember this, I think it was Impatience opens up with these kinds of silhouettes. Right. And I remember it being so striking to me. And so we get some of that visual callback to, to Patience. This is amazing. Just as like, I would, if the book went in this direction, yeah. I would follow that as well. Yeah, man. Uh, there, there's a wedding that's going to be commencing. Finally, it's a reunification of Johnny and, uh, and Penny. Yes, but before that can happen, 
what happens? Some some hippie shows up with a pamphlet that hands it to Monica, which seems like a bold move if you're if you're you know a wacko new cult guy on a sidewalk and you pick the kid to hand them the the pamphlet but nevertheless monica clings to that pamphlet right and she seems to really be looking forward to this wedding this is another one of these panels that's a little bit strange there's some context possibly later in the book for this ken peril man what's the word <laughs> yeah i'd like to talk to him about harry, harry neighbors about that we need harry neighbors man we're not quite at the harry neighbors level so she finally falls asleep as she's excited for the big wedding. She still remembers her dream, and mom wakes her up in the middle of the night, and off they go. Yep, she still has the book. Yes, the opening. Drops the kid off to uh, grandparents, and that's it, man. Exit Penny. Yeah, so that's the last time we're going to see her for 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 the book, let's say. Uh, but Monica's going to continue searching for her. And like I say, that's kind of the way I read this book the first time through. You know, is this mystery of like, where, where'd she go? What happened to her? Right. Uh, but we do see from that moment on, I lived a normal life, happy and safe from harm, but I never saw my mother again. Yes. Uh, you see that there's, there's, there's seniors, man. Uh, so, you know, my, my folks, they had, they had my, my kid sister when I was 18 and they were senior in age and, and that's called a change of life baby. And those kids grow up with a different sense of mortality than you or I did because you still had lots and lots of years of your folks to look forward to and stuff uh and your parents have years and years to look forward to but like my parents mortality they're still around as of this recording for sure uh but they they uh they cherish every day and I think that 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 creates a dynamic that we're not aware of that you and I don't know so well man. look a characteristic that I learned for change of life babies is nervousness exactly is that something that is true to your sibling totally and and it's for those reasons man yeah. because it's just a you know more it's, cautious way of life it's funny because you have several siblings yeah and usually the pattern is first child watch closely second child they fall down the stairs once or <laughs> twice they get to play you know at a younger age outside all these things you know it's a little more casual we get to number three and it's just like free for all right. Lord of the flies yeah but you get to those circumstances my uh my one of my best friends in high school when we were seniors his parents had a baby yeah and it, yeah it, it, i was a know, senior yeah it, it was that kind of uh setup it was very very strange to all of us now this is the the piece that i'm most excited to talk to you about probably i have nothing to offer I am perplexed by this. Let's run through it quickly to say to establish what it is. But this is a character that this is first person narration. So this is not Monica that's telling this story. This is somebody else that's telling the story. And, and I, I mean think, it's him. And I think it's Kayfabe. And I think like even with the title, I think it's important because you would see like process red pamphlet, like like type, you know, like like that modern cartoonist book, right? Maybe this is the modern cartoonist piece of this book where this is like print pamphlet. I feel like this is like the John Smith story of, you know, the Church of Latter-day Saints or something like that. Like this is this is the kayfabe for this like neo-religion. Yeah, and this panel is dear old father. He's, he's going home to see his father. Dear old father, how I'd missed him. After mother passed on, it was just the two of us, which, you know, Penny leaves Monica. So in a way her mother passes on there. She doesn't know her father. Right. So maybe that's part of the allegory but this is strange and there'll be another strange chapter or two down the road you know he's going through a cemetery where tombstones have been desecrated um the family home is still standing while a lot of the town has been you know kind of rebuilt as a more modern town and the people are strange right 
the faces are all going home after work. None of them have time to even say hi to him. And he recognizes his old uh, schoolmaster is now washing the floor in this uh, little diner in the town. It seems odd. Everybody seems odd in this story. Yeah, this is the part really where where uh, I can't wait to read, you know, more like extremely thoughtful criticism. Literally, Ken Perel, tell me, tell me the deal. Tell me what I'm reading. It's really bizarre. It's like a fable. You know, this is kind of that religious cult kind of element where yeah. it's it feels like this is some kind of allegorical story almost as if this would be a guy who's starting a cult. Exactly. And this like is this... one of the stories that informs the, the the beliefs. Right, exactly. You know what's real fun about this is that uh, th this is like a translucent or transparent material. Mm -hmm. And you see how Klaus is tackling it here. And it's pretty good. Like, you see what he's doing, but it creates different mark-making than we're used to is by seeing all that black and stuff. And you kind of, like, can, t can figure out, okay, it's, like, see-through. But... You do the cover after usually, and yeah. the way he handles it later, you almost get the sense of like while he's doing it, maybe he's not hitting it exactly what he hoped for. Because like that, now obviously, granted the characters are pushed back way further, but like that's a real sharp approach compared to that. Yeah, a lot of rule of threes to run through this book. It's a Bushmiller comic. Every comic should be. <laughs> Look, this dude's head gets chopped off. Right, it's a funny panel that's for a, a chopped off head. Even the sound effect is right. Cropped. Yeah, it, it, when, when you do that, it turns it to a piece of pop art. So it sends him flying back into the city. Uh, the blue skin stuff is a mystery. One of his classmates sees him. And whenever he gets back to that little diner, his dad's there. Although his dad is kind of off as well. Everybody's just off, right? Very, very peculiar, this story. And as he's running from it, and I love this running pose there's something about that that's so cartoony like there was an earlier picture of johnny that reminded me of uh fred from scooby-doo sure and now i feel like this running is the same kind of deal like yeah, the some, some archie breaking the panels yeah harry lucy or uh yeah something uh but he runs into his old classmate in the middle of the the bushes which you know super creepy <laughs> and now she kind of runs away with him and explains this whole story about these these people, right? This mysterious group of people who are manipulating the town. Yeah, probably no mistake to have a kind of a Christian symbol there. Yeah, a corruption, a reign of terror that these people inflict on the townspeople. And now we're going to turn to like one of my favorite images in the entire book. We should say too, they spend the night together and there's a plan. She's going to distract this guard so that he can go in and, and execute the plan. Look at that, man. What is going on, Ed? What is going on? I'm reminded of Black Nylon and the psychological test that was in Black Nylon for stuff like going, entering this tunnel. Yeah. But stop the presses. Obviously, this is a huge part of this story because of the size of the panel, if no other reason. Yeah, 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 dude. Total Lovecraftian horror. Uh, I mentioned all the tropes of EC Comics and uh you know we could call this horror stuff but this actually feels like it, it certainly with the color also it feels like charlton horror yeah you know it feels like a charlton comic i think charlton is something that Klaus looked at whenever uh patients i think there's a lot of ditko and charlton comics in that and this feels very similar to it would make sense in a charlton dr uh coffin or something right <laughs> i don't even know what dr graves yeah something something strange because it's not like this is a great design, even though it, it kind of is. It's certainly compelling. But look at, like, I think this is the guy whose head was recently chopped off. Right. So it's like these heads are being chopped off and just added to this mass. 
and still alive somehow. Right. So he does what he was supposed to, which is burn this thing. <laughs> and then he essentially passes out. And whenever he wakes up, the townspeople are grateful because he has freed them. <laughs> and this is his fate. Yeah. Tell me, I mean, tell me this ain't like Velvet Glove type, type surrealism. It, you know, it, and I'm sure it's not part of his thing, but like that Midsummer flick, like, you know, some of the kind of folk horror elements from that, like, come to mind. You know, this is Wicker Man or something. It's really bizarre, you know, and I think there's a little bit of hint here. I came soon to understand that I was the focal center of all human existence, the one true religion. So again, we are going to deal with a guy who starts a religion. Yeah. Um, so it's the this tract. Is some of the the reference to that, I think. Yeah, it's the chick tract for for this cult, and the tree. You know, in my mind, it's not like I'm kind of, some kind of theologian or something. But in in Wiccan religion, you know, it's about it's about the earth. So you know, maybe that's a bit of a suggestion of uh, the 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 cult, of course. So that's my thought on that on that segment is that it's just a, a tract. It's the Bible. That's uh, the best I can do. Origin too. story for for this this cult that we'll be dealing with. And honestly, I look forward to reading this a third time with mm -hmm. real with a real focus yeah. on the cult storyline yeah. because it 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 does trace the the history of this cult over many decades, and that's the only way that well at this point in reading it. That's what makes the most sense to me. So I'm curious to kind of go back with the focus on that and, and kind of see how it all measures up and fits together. But we are cutting back now. I do love these chapters. They're almost like short stories, but obviously interconnected. And Demonic is a great name, a but, great name. By the way, black background, front portrait. It's another Velvet Glove piece. Dude, it's page one of exactly. eight ball one. Yeah, man. Not just a piece. But green hair, teenage girl. It's Ghost mm. World also. Enid. Enid yeah, going through her punk phase. She's very Enid in this thing. She kind of is an Enid-like character. Um, this stuff breaks my heart. Like, the first time I read through this, so her grandmother dies. Her grandfather had died before that. She's a junior in college, and this happens just a week into her junior year, which means she's not going back to school, at least not that year. This has wrecked her. Yeah. And what happens, her uncle shows up almost instantly to start tearing down the house, going through stuff, getting rid of it. She never bumped into that uncle one, two times uh, prior prior to that, but he's, <laughs> he's there to pick the bones. Yeah, and his whore wife, which makes it very clear Monica is now alone in the world. So here we go. I want to talk about Klaus' background. I believe he was raised by his grandparents. Mm. I believe that's true. Um, I don't think his parents were uh, completely out of the picture, but yeah. I think primarily a big part of his childhood was spent with his grandparents. Yeah, mom, mom got to work and stuff. Uh, there, there's also uh, um, Rebecca's story in Ghost World, it and is. I always identified with it because if you're raised by your... We know kids... Whenever you go to school, some of the kids, it's like their grandparents raised them. Yeah. Those yeah, kids yeah. are tremendously disadvantaged. Yeah. Uh, they just are. Yeah, and, they're, they're, they're being raised for a world that ain't, that ain't what it is. And I feel so bad... I remember identifying with Rebecca in that way, and now I feel it with Monica. And I do wonder about Klaus. That feels like something personal in here. Totally. This middle line, like, like it, it. I think it speaks to that personal nature because it feels so, so deep, man. When yes. It gives, uh, but I just couldn't handle it. Nobody really gives a shit when your grandmother dies, you know. Like that. That seems like it comes from experience. But then you think about it, your your own life. My my grandma's not here, and and uh, the friends that you tell, like, they're like, oh, that sucks. Yeah. Because it's inevitable. It's it's you know it's not it's not a shock really. 
and her boyfriend kind of uh, the per- the only person she count on. And he says, I, j- I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Which is, which is like 20 year old. Like you could, you could get that man. Like that's, oh, yeah. some, that's some baggage. It is. It is for sure. So Monica heads up to their summer home on the lake to uh, ostensibly to pack it up, yeah. you know, for her uncle. But really it's to get alone and, and kind of sort this out. And I mean, these panels are right out of velvet glove cast and iron you know like like uh what what i was thinking of um with the like this shore house and stuff i was thinking of david boring yeah that's true too like a very important part of that story totally um i love all of this stuff like all of it the town the the little town the convenience store the neighbors there's our gum to tooth ratio neighbor that we saw in his feral stage early on that's amazing (laughs) but it's such a piece of the world and you know the color palette completely gives us a new setting it does yeah, it's more pastel-y, more airy. And she, as she's going through stuff, she finds things like uh, a Walkman that they had gotten her her uh, grandfather. She's lousy at taking care of herself. You know, cooking dinner is a hot dog over the open flame. She sleeps in front of the fireplace because it's cold. No other way to get the heat on in the place. It's a super Enid thing to say, I'm a vegetarian, except for hot dogs. It is so Enid. <laughs> <laughs> and in the middle of the night, the radio starts talking to her. What is going on here? Like yeah. the lettering, though. Monica. <laughs> Dude, it's almost like um, Lawrence Hubbard lettering. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, great face, too. The response to that's so good. It's that uplighting stuff, that universal horror kind of lighting. And she kind of is freaking out, right? Because pretty soon, this radio is talking to her, even calling her by name. It's a meltdown. What else can it be? Totally. And then here's a very cool storytelling piece. because She has the green hair here. Up until the moment that Grandpop is, he's even, he calling her Buttercup. Like, only Grandpap t- calls me that. Like, so she knows exactly who that is. And imagine that, right? Like, Im- imagine that happens. Like, uh, we're not there. N- next spread. Next spread. Yeah, we're going to have these two pages of her trying to figure out what is going on. And having this communication with her dead grandfather through the radio. This is the time travel in Patience. And it's the death rate also where where it's the thing of like trying to figure out how to how to make it work or like what are the rules and parameters what uh klaus calls the difference between like sci-fi and science fiction you know is like the the sort of rule set and and figuring out the parameters like that's so this is the patience like death ray kind of macguffin and speaking of mortality as we hear the words from her uh deceased grandfather if there is a god, I sure as hell haven't seen him. Right, and 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 it's once again it's Lovecraftian because uh, he'll say stuff. There are no words to describe it, which right. is a total Lovecraft trope, and uh, and that's all I'm going to say about the subject. So like we're not even going to discuss it, like Lovecraft. That's something I never thought of with uh, with Klaus, and maybe it's just so tangential, but I feel like it's there. But but what is Lovecraft but pulp, and Charlton is pulp, and uh, the lettering from those paperbacks is pulp. So it, it is kind of an exploration of some of those bits. You know what? You just mentioned lettering. This lettering is very strange to me. Yes. I wonder if it's digital. There's a lettering software now where like you could put in 50 letter E's mm-hmm. and it'll randomly generate those E's. And the reason I say it is there's a weird thick thin in this lettering that reminds me of um, vector uh, art. If you oh, convert you like mean. a raster image into vector, I, it's it's very different for Klaus lettering is is one thing I'll say for sure, and I'm not going to say it's it's digital because 
that I, would surprise me. I'm glad you brought it up, and it's crazy that it took us 43 pages to, to start talking about it. Uh, take a look at any issue of NOM. Those are the ones that are definitely lettered uh, of, of Michael Golden NOM, like the first 12 for sure. Uh, my lettering teacher, Phil Felix, letters those. He used Hunt 102, and the 102 nib has the thick and thin like that. If you look at that lettering, it has that italic quality and then the little sharpness at the tip. And I think that that might be it, man. Like, I would be surprised if he used digital. That's amazing digital. if he went to um, a crow quill to letter this stuff at this stage in his career. It's baffling. because It's, it's really shocking. Because before that, it would probably be like rapidographs, right? It's yeah, very, very dead line. Right. Very even weight. And, you know, you'll still see the strokes. Like, the O is the stroke. But, man, I just don't know how you get the thick thin on that kind of a round stroke. Maybe it's maybe it's uh, microns or something. But I you really don't see, know. There's two strokes to it. There's the this, and then there's the that. So there's two strokes. Like, it's almost the same as a D, except except it's like that. So it's not it's not one movement. His lettering is so distinct that to have something really different at this stage is, like I say, I'm just curious. Me too. Me too. It's a question to ask and and uh, get get an answer to. I would be super shocked if it's digital because he's just such a letterer and that's such a part of his composing and all of that but my thinking is croquil yeah the the argument that i would put forth on the digital stuff is look at the amount of lettering that's on here and again i go back to is he writing a script you know right. like how would you have the confidence to letter in ink that volume you know like these words are razor sharp yeah he's done that Stuff like black nylon, caricature, there's there's mountains of, of text. And also it speaks to the EC thing in a way, like with the the Feldstein captioning and shit. The difference is that this is integrated into the story in a holistic fashion rather than telling you what you're seeing. Yeah. Um, this is that page turn yes. that you're talking about. The green is now out of her hair. Time has passed. Lots of time. She's been at this cabin for a while. Like, you don't even see green roots at the edge, man. So, like, you could imagine that if you come up with such a fucking absolute miracle, but it's finicky, you know? Like, he, Klaus remembers those old TVs with the rabbit ear antennas, and the ones were like, if you even, like, maybe put your hand kind of close to the TV, reception will get better, and then you just have to hold your hand in front of the TV to finish watching, uh, you know, 700 Club or whatever you're watching. Yeah, it used to be the thing is like the low man on the totem pulls back there playing with the antenna. And when it gets in the right position, you're stuck there. <laughs> yeah, but there would be times like <laughs> there's magnetism in your own body because like you get close to the TV and then you just hold position and then the shit is clear. So the boyfriend shows up apologizing and, and he's going to be there for her. This panel is strange. These, these marks, this is what makes me think of Charlton comics because like you would see that kind kind of noodly shit in in charlton stuff yeah yeah it's different and it's like she's kissing a phantom like she's dead like this guy's showing up to be helpful he's anything but yeah definitely and she needs to lose him you know like she, like she's she's got this miracle she kind of you know she wants to kind of keep it to herself she needs she needs got a lot to deal with and figure out that's a bizarre face too i kind of love new wrinkles in Klaus art yeah you know it's really got me thinking that rather than just a brush that he's playing with with pen also like that's what those marks are yeah could be so she figures out how to get rid of the boyfriend <laughs> and what does he do with the radio he puts it puts it uh on the on the show and is like playing fly like an eagle <laughs> <laughs> right the radio by the way is getting weaker 
Yes. You know, she tries different stuff like the antenna, kind of like what you're talking about, touch it, move it, you know, set it all this stuff up and uh, decide she's got to move on. And you can really see the time passage. This is after the boyfriend goes, still short hair. By the time she leaves, pretty long hair. Yeah. Yeah. So she spent, you know, the summer with them. Uh, the property, you know, the whole point of her being there is that the property's gone. It, you know, it's going to be toast. So she, she buries the radio. So I'm going to note this, and I don't know how it fits, but this right. is a hummingbird flying by the window. Yes. We see that in this very beginning. Yeah, with the, um, uh, after the foxhole. And it's, it's a peculiar inclusion on a page like this. Again, not an accident, right? Like, that means something, I think. The hummingbird is a Watu the Watcher of uh, this, the Monica universe. All right, so here she's leaving after she's buried the radio near an old cypress tree in the woods locks up the house, and now drives off of this road. Um, looks intentional. Doesn't say that, but, you know, by the time looks I woke intentional. Up, yep, by the time I woke up from my coma, everything was gone. Not only does this represent sort of the end of that one issue of David Boring to me, yeah. but I think the whole book is like the issue of David Boring with the gunshot. I think the whole this whole book is like that with that one issue. Wait, because of the last panel of the comic. Yeah, I agree with that. The the setting and everything feels like it's it's in that kind of stage. Yeah. It's that it's weird to think about how much this recalls his past work. Like it feels deliberate. One of the most thoughtful cartoonists I can think of. That's, that's this what, isn't accidental. That's why we have to go through it molecularly uh, uh, the way that we are. You see a panel like this. Yes. And it is so mundane and normal. You know, that is a person just sitting cross-legged on their on their bed listening to the radio. Yes. To then mix in these kinds of elements that the rest of this book has, it's a real mind bender. I I want to ask, I mean, I could sit and ask him about every single piece of it. For instance, we're seeing a car and and we're just hearing about the burying of the radio when anybody else's cartooning instinct would tell them to show that that's more interesting than sh drawing the front of a car. We spend a lot of time with that radio for it to be the fate of the radios off panel. In words, but then it proves that visually, really the car is more important at this moment of, of the story. So like he makes these choices that are very, very thoughtful and very complicated choices to kind of arrive at and be okay with. The relationship between text and image in his work is second to nobody of course and and this is a good example of it because it's the fate of the radio but it's also her fate yes you know she's leaving she's she's kind of done and now here we go with our next story that i don't know i don't know how this fits ed this is an odd one it's a johnny story so we get to see his his latest persona as kind of like a dog the bounty hunter or something all right so what we have here is somewhere up north 1,200 feet above the snow line. In an abandoned donkey shed, he's wearing a fake beard because he is there to bring this kid back home. Right. And it involves some violence. That's a shootout, man. Some of these people did not leave that donkey shed alive. Yeah, right. When you see, talk donkey shed, I, I think of like Ruby Ridge. Like, I don't know that that's a donkey, but like, you know, it's like kind of out in the cut. It's on a mountain. Uh, there's obvious violence that that occurred and, nope, and no were... phone calls radio signals visitors or newspapers this is a bunch of dudes like survivalists outside the off the grid yeah which which is very ruby ridge like which in our lifetime like that's that's the start of like a lot of 
a lot a lot of shit happened as a result of that you know waco comes and then and the, the, the vast mistrust of the government so then you got waco after that and timothy mcveigh watching both of those shits happening and then he does you know the bombing uh, at the fbi building happens like like uh this is you know they talk about this shit on coast to coast and and those kinds of programs do you know who this character is the, the kid that's that he's up there bringing back no i don't either that that i was hoping for some kind of like that's a clue but i didn't really make that connection um so they go back johnny is successful in retrieving this kid and he's heading back to that kid's town he's taking the kid back to his mother and before he gets there the road's blocked off and the police are like no no cops no cars are going into the city he knows one of those cops and he talks to him about it like come on i'm just trying to get this kid home to his mother and he's like i said turn around yeah so something bad is happening that is you're not allowed to go into that town right fortunately johnny's uh savvy finds the back way in and after driving around for a while ends up at the kid's house and uh the mom's not there she's in the hospital and it's just weird right like this is weird piled on weird piled on weird we've gotten two and a half pages into this story and at least three weird incidents have have taken place already <laughs> and the doctor's like get the fuck out of my face yeah yeah as they go into the hospital it reminds me of like planet terror of like uh there's a there's some kind of outbreak but in a b-movie world I, yeah i was thinking like body snatchers because like everybody seems like uh stepford wife type people man just kind of Go, going off in their own direction which was step for wives is it was that an ira levin thing i don't know i don't know if it was or not it feels like it would fit in that world but yeah. i'm not sure um he puts a call into finley finley was the commanding officer in that opening war segment at least the same name and he does look like an older dude right yeah so finley comes out to meet him and he is flustered you know like i, I can't even and he tells him to easy buddy take your time and he can't really tell him he can't follow the story that Finley tells him. Right. He says it, it got so complicated. I couldn't really follow along such great narration, mm -hmm. you know, like it really paints a picture of words. Can't describe it. Right. But he's good at using words to describe a bad situation. Yeah. And, uh, he goes to find that kid in the hospital who was visiting his mom and the kid shows up who had been giving him the silent treatment and is like with his eyes, lets him know we got to get out of here. <laughs> And off they go and that's the story yeah so 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 these little bits are like the ice haven piece where it might be like you know the blue bunny story or something where it feels tangential but it does it does fit in you know this this part part of this gig could be jo johnny like trying to find answers to certain things trying to find his girl and, and just you know it, you know he's he's got a, a gig that puts him in in a place where he could be inquisitive in things. All right. Back to Monica's story. All right. So success is basically now we're in a, a second or third act of Monica's life. And in this act, she has become a very successful businesswoman coming basically out of this coma where we saw her in the last, her chapter. And as she comes back from this, working her way up almost from like Penny would have been in this kind of situation with her bad roommates and things of that nature and that's where monica finds herself but she's going to work her way up because she gets an assistantship with this woman right which by the way david boring gets shot in the head right yeah those bandages even kind of resemble that real close at this point because we're, we're this is a flashback from this moment 
Monica has, has sold her business essentially. Yeah. So you see, this is a very present moment. That's an iPhone that he's recording this for. Um, you know, basically, she's a super success story. Let's get the background on Monica's camera for, you know, brand storytelling essentially. totally we have these lights at the kayfabe studios also uh, that last johnny piece that could be our crime suspense stories kind of kind of piece if, we're, if we still keep uh, keep up with the ec uh it's a very genre. good ec story in a lot of ways um the doctor says that she skidded on black ice which is interesting because if you look at the actual wreck it looks like it's springtime yeah, everything's green, green, green and it looks like she just drove off the road right all right, so she's going to go to work, you know, doing menial jobs at first and having a bunch of roommates. But whenever she finds there's this opening with this woman who needs an assistant, and this is a very successful, you know, kind of a celebrity on the uh, the back half of her life at this point, but very wealthy and looking for an assistant. So Monica feels answers the call and and does all right. Although one of her one of her moves is to climb over this boyfriend, this boy toy boyfriend, you know, half her age. Monica sees her boyfriend her employer's boyfriend out with another woman whenever she tells the employer it kind of breaks the employer down yeah like she really felt for this guy kind of interesting to see that you know like in your mind you think it's just dating somebody younger arm candy kind of thing his name is coyote like how, yeah, how serious not. can it be <laughs> and he says i'm just a sleazebag gold digger ha 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 <laughs> Uh, nevertheless, it removes the person that's in between them. And yeah. now Monica's number two, and she starts hanging out with her a little bit more on a personal level, and uh, gives her some—I don't know—you know—you know how it works. Like you get around somebody who's successful, you learn from them. They might give you a tip here or there, maybe connect you with somebody, and that's kind of what we see. But there's also uh, with a lot of successful people, think of Scientology and stuff. They—they they kind of like want to hold on to that forever, or or looking for some guidance or, or some reason why they deserve it all. It's almost like a uh, survivor guilt or, or imposter syndrome. And it's these guys that come through. I remember like my mom used to get a cosmopolitan magazine. And in the back, there was this dude named Spivey. You might remember him. He's, he had like a big powdered wig. That was like a big Afro kind of, and like, they just look like that and have weird trinkets that, uh, you know, they wear from their necks and just, total new age people it's it's bullshit baffles brains and susceptible rich people are easy victims of that yeah as uh somebody that doesn't have children i worry this is my fate that i'll be leaning on these people whenever i'm in my senior years because oh, no. i don't have anyone else we we are those guys welcome to the cartoonist the cult of cartoonist <laughs> cafe um but how about this it's her only support came from dr aquarius which i can only imagine as a reference to frank miller's ronin yeah right <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, there's in, in history, like, you know, Dr. Landy, the uh, Brian Wilson doctor who kept him sedated for three years and got writing credits on Beach Boy songs. I think this is your piece of advice, too, from her employee em, employer. So, Monica, tell me, why do you have such awful friends? <laughs> She's not wrong. Right. And uh, this leads to her successful business, you know, like there's another one of those turn the page juxtapositions to uh, 15 years in the future. At this point, she has sold the candle business for a great profit. And now she's sitting alone. What are you going to do now? Right. You got everything you think you want. Financially, you're, you're secure. Where do you go from here? And it's shallow friends and uh, not getting along with her old awful friends. You know, a lot of tension there and resentment. And, th and this is one of those, uh, things that like you can easily recall man of, of just like 
gaining some success in your in the chosen profession that you've always enjoyed and you have fun doing the work that you do man maybe you don't really like want your friends to ask you how you doing after you hear about all the bad shit that went on in their life like this is easily identifiable all right ed in the uh man i gotta read this caption because this is classic dan Klaus. i really do wish i could be more like the person i'm pretending to be in this interview the real me would be so loathed as would the real you i'm guessing that's pure Klaus. I love that stuff. It reminds me of like Piper walking around with a notebook full of like promo lines. Like I, I get paid to chew bubble gum and kick ass and right. I'm out of bubble gum. I feel like there are so many of these kind of captions that are just fantastic Klausian moments. It's almost like he is prepping this as some sort of statement graphic novel in a way. Like got to get those, those quotes I've been walking, those notes I've been All walking right. around with. I want them in there. But uh, I do want to kind of skim fast because yeah. there's some stuff I want to cover before we wrap this up and we are an hour plus in. So we're going to see her kind of going through her life and trying to make sense of it. You know, like she's a super success. What do you do when she's lost? She goes and visits Dr. Aquarius for some insights. And uh, he kind of, I don't know, puts her on a, a bit of a quest. And that quest is what happened to mom? Let's go track down Penny. Right. She starts with a visit to old man Johnny. You know what? This is very telling. When we were interviewing Klaus, uh, and we were like, hey man, are those artist editions? When the when the art was sitting on top of the thing, he said, what I do when I want to capture certain things is I open up one of the artist editions and I ink right next to it. What are those lines, dude? That's a Jack Davis texture. Absolutely. So you know he was inking that, looking at that, that um, Jack Davis artist edition that's well, a great great detail ed and even that that whole panel has that quality that's, that's the wind's blowing in the in the air you're looking up at this kind of weird mystical guru that stuff yeah that 100 yellow that's a marie severin like she colors almost all the backgrounds in mad yellow like that and another great moment of one last thing i want to ask the name monica candles that was your mother's store wasn't it yeah let's go find mom yeah dude and uh, there's johnny again yeah. In, in that outfit that we've probably seen earlier <laughs> when he's like, who is the real penny? You know, we've, we caught up. And Johnny just doesn't seem right. That's what our captions are going to kind of direct us towards. And then the idea of the opening comes up and it really sets Johnny off. And he's like, I'm afraid she might have done some bad things. It really unsettles him. And that's enough for her to duck out. We cross cut back to the interview and then this is it. She gives up basically her identity because she's about to go deep in the bowels of a dangerous cult and a drawing style that I have not really seen Dan Klaus use before. Not at I all. thought it was so amazing because it's almost like we've now stripped down her identity and here we go. This is the real person and we're about to go in. I was so excited whenever I read this the first time of sure. like, that's a moment. Yeah, totally, man. And, and the art style for that piece makes me think of like the, the, like volume one of the Arkham sketchbooks when he's figuring out hatching and it's all this, vertical you know top down hatching not going with the forms or anything just straight up and down and then getting value by just ganging up the the um values yeah it's it's it's, it's a great moment it's very unsettling david lynch a guy he's often compared to early in his career feels very david lynchian to mm -hmm. me visually because that's unsettling it's just an unsettling image right and that's what you want for somebody who's going into the dangerous cult it doesn't work if that's a cartoon drawing right so the opening in the way this is the cult that started back when she was a kid with that pamphlet handout 
And uh, the way is basically that cult splits. So we're going to get a backstory of this cult and kind of the history of the cult and some of the big people involved in it, the two main leaders that separate. And who provides that? Some internet reporter. Because there's not a lot of information out there online, but this one guy wrote a bunch of info. So she tracks him down. And eventually that leads to her pepper spraying him because... What else could it lead to? <laughs> right. Yeah, he's going to it's try a to cult, grab a titty or something. An internet cult reporter? That's probably not going to end well. Yeah. So she goes to the cult meeting of the more mainstream version of that cult. Doesn't exactly lead to anything except this horn of plenty where the cult used to hang out. And uh, there are some cult members that still go there. Although, again, nobody gives her too much great information here. But she is trying to find ways into this cult. And when I reread this, Ed, in my mind, it was like, oh, her mom had gone and joined this or whatever. And I guess she has, but I don't know when Monica, when that's clear that that's what she did. She drops Monica off and disappears. Right. So I don't know if she ever really connects. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, maybe it's just a suggestion that like, if you do participate, like that you could, you could be disappeared. This is a guy who allegedly gave her the pamphlet all the way back in the beginning. She recognizes him whenever she sees him. Penny's kid. Right. And so maybe he's the reason that she, I don't know. Like that's a missing piece for me. And this is almost like we've had conversations in the past where I'm like, I don't know how she makes the connection between the two. Right. But apparently that connection is real. It must just be a detail I overlooked. Yeah. In trying to piece this puzzle together. And that's what this feels like, right? We're, we're trying to unravel a mystery and we've really set it up now and off we go to infiltrate the cult. What a compound for a cult. Totally. It's like it's like the Stacy Keach compound in American History X. Yeah, maybe uh, a couple decades after it's abandoned. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's pretty run down at this point. Uh, they do, Klaus does a great job of getting us to this point and getting the cult here because it really goes off the grid, uh, the group that is devout to that original cult idea. Right. And uh, she gets thrown into this closet for a while. She's kind of prepped. You know, she's read their their religious material to try to be ready to do this. Yeah. But you see this Victor Flowers guy who starts it. I don't remember seeing him cross paths. Do you remember that as being one of the men that went through Penny's life? No, but it could be it could be the kayfabe uh, guy from, from the, the religious tract. You know, it's got the dark hair and stuff. And he could be the guy who wrote the first document or something. It's very funny because it does seem like Penny went through this cult at some point yeah, was there. Yeah, of course. I don't know that there's, other than the fact that she was in it, I don't know how Monica would have come to know that. Mm -hmm. I don't remember seeing that. Right. Um, but also I don't remember how she's connected to the leader. Like the idea that the leader is her father is, is basically Monica's idea at this point. Right. So she has infiltrated it. You know, they're kind of welcoming her into it. They all have kind of the same haircuts. Right. As much as you can. And she assimilates with them, even to the point of getting one of the uh, club haircuts. <laughs> Very basic existence. They go into the um, dumpsters to, to find food. You see them just like chopping up wood for, for heat and sustenance. Um, a very simple kind of existence. And whenever Penny makes a joke, that's considered aggressive. Right. Bullet holes. Yeah. Some, some things went down there. Some Jim Jones shit went down. There, there's the sad notion too, like one of the themes that comes up with this guy who gave her the brochure in the beginning, hasn't seen her daughter since uh, she was five or six because 
her mother took the daughter and went and joined this cult and he tries to get in touch and he's like if you see her tell her i love her really a sad moment you know sure which is uh, important for cults you got to separate the people like that mm -hmm. uh you know that happened with uh, jonestown yeah it's kind of cult 101 brainwashing type stuff and this is the religious idea and this comes up as if you're into um um I, I guess if you're into cons certain conspiracy cults, the idea that there's some long, like, millennial-old yeah. forces, possibly demons, aliens, whatever it may be that's influencing humanity, that's kind of encompassed in the teachings and the history of this cult. It's it's a little bit generic in order to make it fit, but it's great as a reading exercise because it allows you to kind of, like, sub in current stories sure. or, or conspiracies. And again, the drawing never goes downhill. No. Keeps up the bullshit baffles brains. Uh, I know that the nose is pulled up, but is this the same character, that the, the feral boy character? I don't think so. I think it's probably just a similar vision. If yeah. that's the same boy from that uh, house she lived in as her first memory, that's amazing. But it also makes you wonder, like, what exactly Monica's state is, right? Because right. that first boy may be based on this experience. You right. know, like, she's remembering it to us. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, chilling. I didn't even think of that. Because, like, there he is, right? And then there's, like, it's very similar composition. Like, I feel like this color might be that color. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of repetition. And there's enough of it that it's similar if it's not intentional. It's just, like, part of that baffling, like, which, again, is kind of conspiracy lore, where it's just, like, coincidence after coincidence until you can't unravel anything. Right. You know, how did we get here? I don't know how we got here. I don't know how we connect Penny to this. Yeah. And I've read it twice already. Right. But it has that feeling, you know? It just is... The pieces kind of add up. Black nylon going into the the corridor. Yeah, just great visuals all, all the way around. There's mixing of dreams plus, like, the religious interpretation of this cult. Blood sacrifice. And now we finally meet our leader. And it starts out she is there to, you know, learn the way, but eventually she kind of comes clean and says, you know, I think you're my dad. Right. <laughs> I'm looking for you. Looking for my father. And uh, he says, I've had hundreds of children, thousands, you're nothing to me. And he's done with her. By the way, he has a computer in his uh, quarters. So for all of this cult living way off the grid, not the same rules to the leader. Sure, which is typical. Mm -hmm. Absolutely typical. And she takes off, flees for her life with the help of uh, one cult member. And pretty great stuff. You know, that whole scene, I think, is, is very exciting. And she gets to leave with a little scrap of, a, of an envelope, a fragment from her mother that, again, the cult member gave her. And this guy... She stays with this family. It's Ike, and I forget his wife's name. They start in the beginning. Whenever she goes to this little town that's the closest thing to the cult, she talks to him about it, and he has some info. Whenever she flees them, she ends up living with them, basically as a new family for a little bit. Even to the point of whenever she has an encounter in the town with the, uh, the cult member who's looking for food, he defends her, but she realizes she can't stay there. Gotta go. This is this Krug part. Weird again. I can't help seeing Rug there. And yeah, thinking of, of course. Myself, thinking of Klaus cutting a promo on me as a, some kind of failed artist. And that's what this guy is. Klaus takes a lot of shot at fine art throughout his career. A lot of different stuff from Art School Confidential to just tons of eight ball stuff. 
and it's a little bit of what we're seeing here. Yeah, so you could call it the art school confidential piece, man. This is this is what what can happen, and and uh, dude, coming up, like you meet enough of these fucking schmucks that that you got promos to cut. Yeah, yeah, it's quite. That's the reason this stuff is so good is that it does feel like it rings true in a lot of ways. Of course, yeah, yeah. So like, I guess this, you know, this is this is the guy from early on. He is the first guy. So. Uh, it was thought and suggested that that would be the father because you know he's fu fucking pe penny when all that stuff is going on but uh and i think maybe he still may or may not be on your, on your second reading like uh, he's not he's definitely not yeah he's definitely not um i don't know if it's super clear here that he isn't but it will be clear by the end but he pretends that he is because he thinks she's going to buy art right yeah 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 amazing yeah <laughs> amazing. and that's some drawing that we haven't seen Dan Klaus do. It's true, and also makes me think of the Charlton stuff. You know, noodly Filipino era it's, Ch Charlton comics. It's like the sick dark uh, yellow. You know, you mentioned yellow in the beginning, right? This is the sick, twisted, almost like irradiated cancer yellow. It is, and and, and I think it has the slightest bit of blue in it. Yeah, definitely, because it's that it's moving towards green, but yeah, still in the yellow, like five percent cyan or something. Okay, here we are at Doomsday, and this is where you're going to get whatever answers you get from this book. Right. Do you think this is the stop point? I think we should go through a little, because like it's really the last page is the thing, and I swear to God, Klaus draws himself. Me too. That's how I read it too, which changes my reading of this whole thing. Yeah. So we're going to cut ahead quite into the future now of Monica in old age. She's gone through therapy. She's living in this small uh, Northern California quiet town. Uh, it's kind of like an arts touristy town. Mostly gets along with everybody. There's her therapist online. The pandemic has taken place. Right, so it's your Zoom therapy. So pretty interesting to see how she's adjusted. And as part of that adjustment, she actually does find her mother. Right. And this is her mother. We're going to see uh, a little bit of interaction that's somewhat unsatisfying and super mundane, which is kind of the big takeaway of this book on my second read, is as extraordinary as fantastic as this story is, ultimately, Monica's life very very nothing right and i think that is the story of all of us and that's the scary mortality story because even if your life's extraordinary as you get to the end of it we all die alone right that's it man you just got you just got yourself noteworthy in that uh there's no spotting of blacks this is the only story that doesn't have blacks uh the these tones are achieved with with just hatching and things it's a way more pastel hue than all the other uh stories so it's it's like we're we're fading into existence here. Also, like I'm just gonna fast forward real quick. This trope here of the top down camera with foliage with the red car. I've seen this in about five movies. Uh, yeah, it's a classic that, shot that, that I watch with the red car. I think it might be an Eden Lake. Uh, it's that Vivarium movie with a uh, Jesse uh, Eisenberg. I think. Like I think that that's in there. Like that's that's a classic trope. And, and here comes the Dan Klaus character. Yes. Okay, Fabers, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell so that we can notify you when new vids are available. We are a daily YouTube channel, and we've got more than a 1,000 videos in our archives at this moment. So chances are we might have covered uh, your favorite comics. Hit the little magnifying glass. 
on the front page of the Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel. Give your favorite comics a search and take a look and see if we covered, uh, if we did episodes on that comic. If not, put something in the comments immediately so that we can bump that up to our uh, to-read pile. Uh, the videos are brought to you by uh, the Patreon. Uh, the King Kayfabers on our Patreon get all the videos before anybody else mitigates the Kayfabe effect. When we show off a book like this canon book, uh, the King Kayfabers are going out and buying those uh, last hardcovers uh, off of uh, Amazon, eBay, and their comic shops. So it behooves you to get in early. Check out these videos. The, the subscription on Patreon pays for itself. Videos are brought to you by the books that we make. So Jimmy, tell the people what you have coming out. My next release is Street Angel, Princess of Poverty. This will be out in November from Image Comics. You can start to pre-order that one now. And it goes with Street Angel, Deadliest Girl Live. These two books do not reprint the same material, but together they do collect all of my Street Angel comics to date. So check that one out. Uh, True Crime Funnies, my latest self-published comic book. I ran out of the print copies. Thank you all very much. But I am reprinting that hopefully in time for Baltimore, and they'll be available on my website after that. You can also read it on patreon.com slash jimrug, where I post all of my new comics and work. Uh, other books that are available right now, The Plain Janes, the first young adult graphic novel. Um, I know our demographics, so I say this is the one to buy for gifts for uh, the nieces and daughters in your life. And uh, Hulk Grand Design, my contribution to the Grand Design series. I could not be happier with how this book turned out. But it looks like this thing is out of print now. It's not available at the distri distribution level. There still should be copies sitting on your uh, good comic shop shelves. So pick this one up now if you haven't already, because once it's out of stock, it may be gone. <laughs> so grab that one before it's too late and follow me on Patreon. Hip Hop Family Tree Omnibus coming to you in time for the holiday season. Uh, it is the 10 year anniversary of the Hip Hop Family Tree comic in print. It is the 50th anniversary of hip hop culture in general, so we had to do it up fly. Uh, it's collecting all four volumes of Hip Hop Family Tree's comics material and 150 pages of additionals. So uh, this is a big phone book uh, that I'm extremely excited about. It's the ultimate statement on Hip Hop Family Tree, and I hope you support the book when it comes out in October. Not the only holiday piece that I have coming out this year. In November comes the X-Men Grand Design trade paperback. Uh, that collects all three volumes of X-Men Grand Design. I do have a volume or two of that out of print as, as we speak, so this is your way to get your hands on all of it. Uh, like I said, it's going to be coming out in November. Both of these guys are uh, ready to go in time, time for the holidays. Red Room is the comic that I'm working on these days. There are two trade paperbacks of Red Room out there currently. Crypto Killers represents the third season of Red Room comics. In this third issue, there is a backup story called Latchkey Kids Here, but I changed the title to Switchblade Shorties. And it is a daily strip that I'm uh, working on. I've yet to serialize it to the wider world, but exclusively on my Patreon, uh, you can get access to it. Three bucks is the cost, man. And, uh, you know, there's a complete episode up there, uh, probably by the time you see this video. Not the only ways to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel, however, Jimmy, let the people know. You can subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts, merchandise, mugs, hats, fanny packs, stickers, and more at our spread shop. That link is also under this video. All good ways to support the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel, given those marching orders, and we'll be on our way. Read more comics.